Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he came throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. If you woke up tomorrow and you noticed a strange lump, maybe on your arm, a small mass in your flesh, you had an odd color to it, you'd most likely make an appointment with your, your doctor to have it checked out, or after a couple of weeks of prodding by your wife, at least you would. Um, and, you know, he, he may look at it and poke at it, try to figure out what's going on, might take a small piece as a biopsy. And, and now you're, you're waiting for a diagnosis. You know, maybe it comes quickly. Maybe it's, oh yeah, that's nothing. I recognize that right away. Or maybe you need to wait for the results. And depending upon those results, you might go to a specialist, and you might even be hanging in suspense for even longer. You'd, of course, be concerned. I think most of us would be concerned that there's something cancerous about it. Cancer is probably the worst thing that we would uh, think of for a diagnosis. There's so many unknowns right away, that initial diagnosis. It's not clear what might happen to us. It's not clear what we're going to have to go through. It's not clear what the prognosis is. Are we going to live? Is it going to have to be chemo? What's going to happen? And that uh, that causes a lot of fear in us. Now, if we were living at the time recorded in the Gospels, really, if we were living at any time up until about the last hundred years, the early 1900s, we would be more concerned, I think, about something like leprosy. We'd have good reason for it, too. Leprosy is not that big of a deal to us anymore because antibiotics and there's so many things that really just make it not an issue. But leprosy was probably worse, much worse than cancer for anyone up until very recent history. Now, cancer and leprosy have both probably been with our race since the fall in the Garden of Eden, but leprosy was much more concerning. It's so concerning, in fact, that there is chapters in in Leviticus written about it. Listen to just the beginning from Leviticus 13 and consider uh, whether this kind of sounds like our, our visit to a doctor. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. 
Now, this goes on for two chapters. The Lord tells Moses how to determine if something is leprosy. If it spreads, if it has a certain color, something going on with hair, there's all kinds of things. And the person who first goes to the priest to kind of have a diagnosis, he gets quarantined for a week. And then the priest comes back and looks at him again and sees, okay, has anything changed? And then he gets quarantined for another week. And the priest comes back and looks for a third time and decides, is this leprosy or not? What has happened to this spot? Has it grown? Now, there are all kinds of different manifestations of leprosy. All kinds of different diseases as we know them today would be called leprosy. Um, There's leprosy of garments. Your clothing can be leprous. Houses, buildings can be leprous. And if you're interested, this is all in, in Leviticus. You can see this through there. But what I just mentioned is just the, one of the diagnoses. But it's enough to see a, a, a similarity, to kind of get our, our minds uh, inside the mind of someone with leprosy back in Bible times. There's at least two reasons that leprosy would be considered worse to them than cancer. For one, all leprosy was incurable. Up until, you know, antibiotics, all leprosy was entirely incurable. There was nothing that really could be done for you if you had leprosy. One of the great miracles of the Old Testament done by the prophet Elisha is curing Naaman the leper. Because that doesn't happen. Leprosy doesn't go away on its own. It's a a miracle. Which leads to the second reason that leprosy would be so horrible. It's so horrible because you have to live through it. You you actually, it, it doesn't kill you outright. It doesn't take your life. It doesn't shorten your lifespan by a whole lot, actually, as far as lifespans that day were concerned. But it slowly kills you from the inside out as bits and pieces of you just sort of rot away. I don't want to be so gruesome to describe it really any further because we can kind of imagine. But I don't really recommend you look it up. It's, it's, it's horrific. So, while you're living through leprosy, while you're living through this disease, while you're basically withering away, there's something even worse that goes on. It's It's so much worse than what we would receive for a diagnosis today. Because today, if you get a diagnosis for cancer, even that, which is terrible, you have people around you. You have support. But again, in Leviticus passage, verse 45 and 46, we we have a law that God gives concerning leprosy, which shows something far worse that occurs. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You see, leprosy was not just a medical concern. It was a social one. It was a religious one. If you were 
if you were considered a leper, if the priest looked at you and said, that is leprosy, that'd be like going on death row. You, you know that you're going to die, but you don't really know when. It probably won't be for a long time, but you know it's coming eventually. And while you wait for your eventual death, you are also cut off from all the good things that society has around you. I mean, imagine if any other diagnosis today was followed by an eviction before you even got treatment. It was followed by, no, you got to get out of your house and move to some waste place without anyone else around you. And no, you can't go to the grocery store anymore because you might pollute it. And no, you can't come to church anymore and worship God because you might pollute that place. In fact, you would pollute that place. You're not allowed here. And everywhere you go, every single person avoids you and stays several dozen feet away from you. And of course, you're responsible to help them do that because you have to wear your clothes torn and your hair unkempt and cover your mouth and say, unclean, unclean, wherever you go. See, unclean didn't just mean dirty. It didn't just mean, everybody, I'm contagious. It meant that, that you had the status of, of the corruption of sin upon you. It meant that all the evil that we experience because we live as sinners in a sinful world, it was, it was visually apparent on you as a leper. And it's not necessarily because you're such a worse sinner than everybody else. It's just simply that you are a sinner living in a sinful world. And this is one way that that manifests. That's why a leper couldn't come and make sacrifices to God. Because a leper could not wash himself enough to be clean enough to come near to God. I mean, imagine that. Your whole life falls apart. You can't live in your house or be with your family. You can't work. You can't do all the normal things you need to do to survive. You have to wear tattered clothes. You have to warn everyone of your approach. And you can't even draw near to God for help. The whole world forsakes you, and it seems that God has also forsaken you. And that is the predicament of the leper in our text today. Now, this same interaction is recorded in Matthew and in Luke. And Luke, the gospel writer, was a physician, a doctor, which is probably why he adds this extra detail. He says that not only was this man a leper, he was full of leprosy. It wasn't just a minor form. It wasn't just a spot on his arm. It was throughout his whole body. He was, he was racked with it. And so this man, this leper, in our passage, what does he do? He comes to Jesus. This is an early point in Jesus' ministry. You know, there's not a whole lot that Jesus has done. His fame has not spread all across the land yet. Uh, Jesus has just been baptized by John. He's been in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. He's called just a few of his first disciples. He's been going through the synagogues in Galilee. He's been casting out demons. And he's been healing the sick. He's starting to look like something might, might be going on with this man. He might be a prophet. 
he's, he can do some miracles. But he'd have to be better than the best prophets that Israel ever had for this leper to think, you know, I think he can do something for me. And yet, with all of this stacked against him, with really not a whole lot to go on, just kind of hearing rumors of this Jesus, the leper came to Jesus. And he comes through these crowds that are gathered around Jesus, and they would all be trying their very best to avoid him. They would get out of his way, and yet even in the face of what must have been disgust and fear and outrage, that this leper would dare to come into the city, dare to come into this place with these clean people, dare to pollute it. He does. He comes to Jesus. And notice how he comes. This is important for us. Mark says in our passage that he comes imploring him and kneeling. He comes humbly. He kneels. Some of us who are not as spry, perhaps, as we used to be, would imagine the difficulty of kneeling. Imagine all your joints are worn out and don't work whatsoever. And yet he comes and he kneels. It's not, it's not a pretty sight by any means, and it's probably quite embarrassing. But something more unexpected than a leper walking into the city, walking in among the people, happens. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him and cleanses him and heals him. With a touch and a word, Jesus does this. And we really ought to be asking ourselves, how can this be? How is it that Jesus can touch someone who is unclean, who defiles everything he touches, who has to be avoided at all costs, How can Jesus touch someone like this? And when he touches him, he makes him clean. Now, we have to be careful. We we know a pretty fair amount about Jesus. So this does not surprise us like it really ought to. We've come to expect these sorts of things from him. But if you were there with Simon or Andrew or James or John, the first disciples, if you were there and you, just, you were starting to really be interested in this guy, you've been following him for a little bit. He's got, some, he's got the mojo. He's got something figured out. It would be pretty remarkable. There's something special about this guy, sure. But now, a leper? And you would, your first instinct would be, we got to protect Jesus from this guy. We, we can't let this, this holy prophet be made unclean by this leper. You might get angry. How dare he? How dare this leper come in and touch Jesus? How dare this leper come close enough to touch Jesus? And then you hear him hoarsely saying, if you will, you can make me clean. And you think to yourself, you know, you could have probably said that from 20 feet over there. You didn't need to get this close. And just perhaps as the shock wears off, perhaps as you're ready to grab Jesus by the collar and pull him out of harm's way, Jesus reaches out a hand and touches him. I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. This would, this would have to make you wonder, who is this man? Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did he touch a leper? Why did he touch someone who is so unclean that he can't even be in polite society or any society whatsoever? Well, Mark tells us. Mark gives us Jesus' motivation. Mark says that Jesus was moved with pity. Or in other translations, it says moved with compassion. Pity, compassion, same word here. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is moved with compassion to help the man who is lying, dying on the side of the road. Or the father of the prodigal son. He is moved with compassion as he's looking out, waiting for his son to come home. He's moved with compassion. He runs out to meet him. And I know sometimes we think of pity or compassion as being kind of weak emotions, you know. A Hallmark movie can stir it up, perhaps. Um, sometimes there's those commercials with the animal shelters. We can kind of feel a little sad, but you flip the channel and that goes away. But that's, that's not what's going on here. That's not the kind of emotion that is talked about here. Jesus is moved by his compassion. He feeds the people in the wilderness, it's said, because he has compassion on them. He touches this leper because he has compassion. He's not a stoic. He's not unmoved with the sorrows and suffering of the people around him. I know in the frozen north, we really only know two emotions, right? And you say, well, I'm not really that emotional. That's the first one. Okay? The I don't feel emotions. That's the first emotion. And the second emotion, which I, I, I bet we're very familiar with it. If you don't, if you don't feel it, you, you know somebody who does, and you also do feel it. You're just burying it a little deeper. The second emotion is when your neighbor borrows like the hedge trimmer and brings it back and doesn't refuel it and doesn't clean it up. And you think, well, I'm never going to let him borrow anything again. You know, that low-level kind of corrosive bitterness. Well, I just don't need to do any favors for that guy ever again. I, just, I think I'll just not anymore. You know, we're clear-headed enough to at least know that that sort of bitterness is, is something to repent of. But we're often very proud and think that the unmoving stoicism of, well, I don't really have that many emotions. We often think that is our virtue. We see it as a great character trait. But that's not what we see in Jesus. He is moved by his pity. He sees the pain in another human being and he acts upon it. In fact, everything Jesus does is motivated by pity and compassion. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. He was rich. He didn't need to come here. He didn't need anything from any of us. He was moved with compassion, moved with the the plight of his people. He's not solely motivated by it. He's, He's motivated by the joy set before him, we're told in Hebrews. He's motivated to do his Father's will, we see all throughout the Gospels. He's motivated by the glory that he had with the Father in the beginning. But he is motivated by his compassion. His compassion for sinners. Now, three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this interaction. It's written for our instruction. Just as a conclusion, I want to go over what we should learn. We must learn from the leper. And none of us are ever going to face the absolute and total isolation that this leper faced cut off from society and family and God, I can say that explicitly. Now, society may abandon you, your family may turn against you, but the law in Leviticus that prevents lepers from coming to God because of uncleanness is no longer in effect. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we do face a lot of things that really do seem to do that. We do face things that seem to cut us off from all help, that seem to be a sign that God has abandoned us. Maybe it is a cancer diagnosis or some other disease. Maybe it is a loss of employment. Maybe it's family strife that's broken the bonds of love that really should be there. Maybe it's sin that you just can't untangle yourself from. And then in the midst of all these trials, whatever they happen to be, you know, you try to keep your spirits up, you try to keep moving forward, you try to keep plodding on, and you try to remind yourself of God's promises to you as you pray to him for help. And the devil, that liar, just whispers in your ear, how can you be so sure? How can you be sure that God's promises are going to come true for you, right? I mean, sure, God, God will keep his promises, obviously. But, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you've kind of lost your chance. You think God is going to listen to you? Because, you know, you're, you're pretty impure. You're pretty unclean. You're pretty unholy. You failed a lot. You think to yourself, hearing this deception... And it makes sense because you think, you know, God is holy. What could he possibly want with with a sinner like me? But we must learn from the leper how to pray. The leper, if you will, you can make me clean. He confesses faith in God's ability. He doesn't come to to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, could you please do these things for me? Uh, I I, I really need this. He's, He's so debased and humbled by all of his corruption that he doesn't do that. He just says, if 
you will, you can make me clean. He's just confessing his faith in God's ability. And our prayers must be a confession like that, of our faith in God's ability to answer us. But then perhaps there's another stumbling block that gets placed in in front of our prayers, right? Because you say, well, of course God can do it. I just don't know if he will. You know, I'll pray like the leper. I'll pray, if you will, you can do this. God, if you're willing, I know you can take away this cancer. I know you can fix this marriage. I know you can give me this job. I know you can make my kids repent and return to you. I know you can release me from this sin that I just can't stop doing. But, you know, I, I can pray that and then I'll just slap. But not my will, but your will. You know, try to make it sound extra holy. And sometimes we do this because we want to give God an out. We don't want to expect too much of him because we really don't want to be disappointed if he doesn't answer. We're really not sure God is all that invested in the things we're invested in. You might think something like, well, God's got more important things to do than deal with my problems. It seems pious to think that. It seems like humility to think that you're not really worth God's notice and to leave it at that. But that's a false humility and a false piety. Because Merry Christmas. God is interested in your problems. That is Christmas. That's what that means. It means that nothing is too small to escape his notice. Nothing is too vile for him to come here to us to cleanse it. Christ came to earth to deal with our problems. This leper came to Jesus for healing. He couldn't go to God the normal way that God had set up at the time. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't go to the priests to offer sacrifices. He couldn't come into the presence of God with thanksgiving as the psalmist rejoices to do. So instead, he comes to Jesus. And in doing so, this leper is closer to God than anyone has ever been in any temple. Even the one that Solomon set up. Leprosy prevented him from coming near to God, but it did not prevent God from coming near to him. Because that's the message of Christmas. Jesus Christ is God and he has come to dwell among us. And he hasn't changed. He's ascended back up on high to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. But he hasn't changed. Jesus is God fully and truly. God in flesh. And as much as we must learn from the leper how to come to Jesus humbly, with real humility, really believing, God, you can do this. Jesus, you can do this. And I'm willing to break all the taboos, all the social restrictions. I'm willing to make a fool of myself. I'm willing to risk life and limb to come to you because I know that you can do this. And I think you will. 
We must have faith like the leper, but we must also recognize that it was Jesus who came first. He came down for lepers, for all sinners, who could not draw near to God ourselves because of our sin, because of our uncleanness, because of our impurity, because of all of our transgressions. God came to us because he was moved he was moved with pity, compassion for poor sinners. And he still is. There's, there's not a thing that you can do that can keep you from coming to Jesus. Jesus has already come all the way down. You don't have to go all the way up to heaven to get to him. He's come all the way down for us. He came and he touched filthy sinners. He ate with them. He lived with them. He died for them. He died for us. Such that all our uncleanness is taken away. All our sin is taken away. So we just have to come to him and confess our faith. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, Lord, all of these things that ail me, all of these things that are wrong, I know you can do it. And in fact, I've seen you do it so many times. I know that if you're not willing for this one particular thing to be answered, it's because something else is better. It's because you're doing something better. You haven't withheld anything from me. God hasn't withheld anything from us. That's Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, you are able and mighty to save, to redeem, to keep us And you have shown us in your promises, in your actions, that that is your very intent. You have shown us in Jesus Christ that you do truly, truly care for us. That you are willing to do everything necessary to redeem us, to make us clean, to make us your offspring, your children. So Lord, would we not think of ourselves as being better than that leper? Would we not consider ourselves as being too pious, too holy, too good to need that from you? Would we not have a false piety that thinks, I'm just not going to bother God with this? Lord, would we pour out all the complaints of our hearts to you, knowing that you gave us 
Jesus Christ, there's nothing good that you will withhold from us. Make us rejoice this Advent and Christmas season to have such a gift to know the living God in such a way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.